All right, welcome back to the Canine Performance Podcast, where it's our mission to help you live the best life possible with your dog, guaranteed. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie. And we had originally recorded this podcast on our car ride home from Houston, Texas. Now, if you haven't been keeping up with us on Instagram or YouTube, uh, we were in Houston, Texas over the past nine days training a fitness and lifestyle influencer named Max Tuning's dog named Duke. So long story short, I had reached out to Max probably back in May or June, and I thought it'd be a really good opportunity for us to collaborate. Uh, I know through following his content over the past few years that his dog dude is one of the most important things in the world to him, and he had kind of talked about training, and so I figured it'd be the perfect moment to jump in and uh, see if we could bring some value to him. So on somewhat of a last minute notice, Natalie and I rented a car, packed our bags, loaded up Atlas and Aurora, our two dogs, and we drove over 17 hours through floods and all kinds of crazy stuff down to Houston, Texas. And um, it was crazy, you know, it was a really cool opportunity for Natalie and myself to stretch ourselves both as business partners and just in our relationship. And uh, the results were tremendous. And so uh, what I had asked originally when we had recorded this, I had asked Natalie to kind of talk about some of the hesitations, some of the things that were challenges, some of the wins, and uh, ultimately just to talk about the experience in and of itself um, in her development as a person and as a trainer. So uh, without further ado and rambling on any further, I'm going to go ahead and splice in her audio and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Canine Performance Podcast. Having it kind of last minute, uh, having to pack our bags, get our dogs, just like Matt mentioned, was kind of stressful in itself. But it's also a completely new environment that I had to navigate around because normally I train with board and train. So I have complete structure and control over their entire day and I'm able to structure their lessons, you know, individualize, train whenever I need to in the environments that I need to. And in this situation, one of the main reasons why Max was so open to us training dude was because he didn't really like the idea of sending dude away for a week to two weeks. Um, and he did want to have a level of being hands-on as well. So for me, it gave me a lot of just worry that I would be able to deliver good enough results in an environment where I wasn't going to have control over every aspect of dude's day um, in a place that I was unfamiliar with. And we would have to go and see dude every two hours. So um, that was a, a challenge. It turned out not to be a challenge. It was just something that I was worried about. Um, and some of the struggles I think that we came across was dude's life is really exciting. His dad being a fitness influencer, online personality type. He has a lot of traveling around, meeting a lot of new people. He's very easily excitable. And so his level of distractions was really high. So trying to just learn to control a lot of that was a little bit of a struggle. Um, but the easiest part was that Max is just such a great and dedicated dog owner already. Dude's foundation of obedience was really what made this such a great success. It made it a lot, it made the process flow more smoothly. His temperament was great, super socialized dog. So he picked everything up 
I think with a lot of fluid and ease, we were able to, you know, teach the climb command really quickly, get them up on a treadmill, you know, distance recalls, all that jazz um, in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, and we documented all of it. So quick plug, you know, if you're not watching us on YouTube, you know, we're putting a lot of educational and just kind of information around just the building of canine performance as a brand, as a business. So if you're not already kind of keeping up with us there and you want to kind of watch uh, the day to day of what we did with Dude, all those videos will be up probably within a week of whenever this is posted. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But Natalie, I want to ask, you know, what are some of the things that surprised you, um, I think, most and kind of like what did this do for you in a self-development aspect? I know from a business aspect, you know, obviously, because you and I have worked together and lived together for years now, you know, there's certain elements that go into this that made it work really well because we've had a lot of practice. But there's also a lot of things that um, could have gone wrong. So I guess what are some of your afterthoughts as far as like how you how this experience developed you as a trainer and just as a person? Yeah, um, it definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone a lot. Um, I would say that I I do have good people skills. I think that's what makes me a great dog trainer is I'm able to talk to people. I'm personable and I can educate them. But honestly, I'm I would consider myself more of an introvert and having to go and be around someone else and just other people every two hours that really stretched me um, in a way doing something like packing up our bags and, you know, kind of taking a risk in a way um, that really stretched me a lot. But as a trainer, it helped me grow quite a bit in a way that was surprising because I really had to mold and adapt quickly to whatever environment I needed to train in or any problems that arose. Um, and so all in all, it was a huge confidence boost for me. I feel like I can kind of handle anything that gets thrown my way. It also gave me a huge confidence boost that even though I was so uncomfortable and I had a lot of stress and anxiety, I was able to train regardless of that and deliver on it as well. I'm really, really, really happy with the results that we left behind. Um, so just a huge confidence boost there, just knowing that my training as a trainer is really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, it's always cool because I, there, there's a distinct moment when we started the training, I think a first session where Max was like, I just can't even imagine, like, you know, when you just know your dog and I can't imagine. And then just to see it happen, not even in six days or seven days, but in like the second or third day, like this thing's already kind of working and showing that progress. I think it was really cool to be there for all of those sessions and to see um, just how impressed people were with the training and how responsive it is. Um, you know, that being said, what is this kind of like, is there anything that you're excited about now that this experience is over? Like, would you do this again? Is this something that you don't think is necessarily replicatable? Like, what are what are some of the elements of this that you feel really made a, the biggest impact in this trip being a success for us? I think it's definitely shown me that there is you know, an opportunity here that can definitely be capitalized on if we are willing to stretch ourselves in that way, if I'm willing to stretch myself in that way of there's opportunity if people want to work with me as a trainer because they resonate with my results, my training technique and style, my style of education. I think I'm pretty thorough. Um, I have a good way of explaining information in, in terms of dogs, at least. And, um, 
you know, I never thought about potentially traveling and going and training dogs in different areas. I had always almost mentally kept myself in the Raleigh Durham area. But now I realize that, I mean, they're, the world is our oyster. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something that I'm glad that you experienced out of this because coming from the media video background, you know, obviously we've traveled for my work all over the United States. And, um, I know for the first time we ever left the state to go do uh, that. I did at least to go do video work. It was kind of like nerve wracking. You got to pack all this gear up. You have to kind of over prepare. Um, and it, it caused a lot of anxiety, but I know I say it a lot, but there's not really anything we do more of that we get worse at. And I think that being able to kind of build a muscle of, you know, thriving in that discomfort and thriving in situations that most people um, might not necessarily be able to handle at the same aptitude um, is, is so, so important and such a differentiating factor in what could lead to Canine Performance being a big brand in the, in the dog industry someday. Um, because ultimately, you know, we talked about this with Max, but these types of opportunities and, and things, they're not always necessarily ROI positive. You know, they're not going to necessarily put a bunch of money in the bank, but they're excellent for building brand, you know, being able to um, spread our tentacles out of awareness, so to speak, and to really um, gain some awareness and traction in different clusters, right? Um, it reminds me a lot of, you know, working with different hip hop artists and learning things about the music industry where a lot of people go on tour. And the reason that artists will go on tour and specifically college tours is because when, a, when the college semester ends, you know, everyone goes home and talks and loves to share about the new music. You know, I'm sure if you're around uh, Natalie and I's age, you've been in the car and you wanted to take over the Bluetooth or the, the aux cord and put your playlist on and show everyone the new music you have. And so it's very similar, you know, when you go and you show up in person, you do seminars, and you do things like this, um, where you're able to accelerate that brand building process faster. And in the infancy stages of what we're doing, um, building brand is the most important thing. It's the reason why we're doing podcasts and creating videos and posting on Instagram and writing captions and all different kinds of stuff. Um, because it's a slow drip, you know, if we, if we know that if we're continuous in doing these practices and staying diligent to um, the consistency of them, that they'll yield results for us and we'll be able to, you know, harvest from these seeds that we're, we're sowing today um, at some point down the road. So um, that's part of the vision. And I think that's a good encapsulation of our trip. You know, we're on our way back now and I think we're even more excited because having been stretched in this way, it just opened our eyes to what's really possible and how much we can really take as a business, as a couple, as a, as a family, including our dogs. And uh, I think that's one of the most exciting things to come out of this. So uh, with that being said, I think it's a good segue into the other topic and the true topic of this podcast, which kind of relates to a post that you had written earlier this week. And it was somewhat controversial, but I think overall it was uh, widely well-received and there was a lot of um, reposting and sharing and edification that uh, what you were saying had a lot of value. So without further ado, maybe jump into that topic and share with the, the audience listening at home uh, what that post was all about. Yeah, definitely. So the post that um, Matt is referring to is I made a post several days ago at this point, uh, right before we left, I believe, uh, talking about the importance of not letting your dog greet every single person that they encounter to advocate for your dog and not every single dog that they encounter, they need to go say hello to. And Matt's correct. This is a controversial topic in a controversial sort of way that 
dog owners who are uneducated of why this is not a safe practice for dogs. Um, and then the controversy of on the other side of people who are knowledgeable about dogs being like, yes, absolutely. More people need to know about this. And that's why it was more of my viral post. It got shared over a hundred times. Um, which I'm incredibly thankful for, for everyone sharing that information and making it more widespread. But to kind of dive into that a little bit more, uh, I, I totally get it as a dog owner. And before I knew about dog behavior, dog psychology, how they interact with one another, um, what daily interactions go into shaping their behaviors and why it's so important. So if you have a dog that is allowed to receive their entertainment, their happiness, any sort of arousal from outside sources, that dog is going to continuously go back to those sources to gain that happiness, to gain that arousal, that excitement and everything. And so if you let a dog approach every single person, that dog is going to lose his mind every single time that he sees another person because it's been continuously and positively reinforced within them that meeting new people, regardless of who it is, is a lot of fun. So now you have a dog that is lunging and pulling and gasping for breath at the end of a leash to get to every single person that they see. And unfortunately, that's not always the best case because if you have a dog that's doing that, typically they're not going to have manners like not jumping up on people. Maybe they have excitement nipping, um, all these different things. And we have to take into consideration as dog owners that not every person likes dogs. There are a lot of people out there that are very scared of dogs and especially children as well. And that can be potentially dangerous for you as a dog owner if your dog is so excited to go see other people because it was reinforcing them so often that, you know, they can get excitement from that and they slip out of your hand off of their leash. They run and they jump on someone on a child because they're just so excited. And, you know, that can that can be really bad for you as a dog owner. I'm in enough dog Facebook groups that I know that that happens quite frequently. Um, and then not just with humans, but for other dogs as well, the same thing applies that if your dog is allowed to greet every single dog that he sees, he or she sees, then he's going to completely go bananas when they see another dog and they're going to want to go and say hi because that's when it, what's been reinforced all the time. And that can also be dangerous because not every single dog likes other dogs. And, you know, that's all right. I, I don't expect all dogs like other dogs. I do expect them to be behaved, but not all dogs are going to be trained. And that can be very deadly for your dog. Um, while we humans, we can say, oh, no, that's uncomfortable. Get away from me. Dogs use a lot of physical means of communication. And that's a really great way for dog fights to happen while on leash. Um, and so just it's it's a matter of self-control and advocating for your dog. Honestly, not every single person that your dog meets needs to be touched and cooed over and build that arousal level that it positively impacts that they need to go see every single dog and every single person. And for those that never really thought about it that way, but are potentially asking themselves the question, oh, well, how is my dog going to get socialized? Like, shouldn't like a lot of people pet them? Shouldn't they meet as many dogs as possible? And the answer to that is no. 
your dog does not need to have that. You, as the owner, should be the center of their universe, their arousal, their excitement, their happiness, everything that goes into their world should come and flow through you as the owner. And when you give those opportunities, and I do think that it's important for your dog to be able to, you know, be pet and have correct behavior and meet other dogs and have correct behavior. However, it needs to be in a structured and controlled environment. So that doesn't mean like, oh, there's another dog walking towards you at the end of the street we'll go ahead and have them meet nose to nose. That creates a lot of pressure on a dog. And that's how a lot of dog fights happen and how dog aggression is developed. So it needs to be structured and it needs to be controlled and it doesn't need to happen all the time. Socialization for dogs is being in the same space as humans, as dogs, as other stimuli and learning to accept it and not be reactive towards it, being neutral towards it. Direct interaction is what everyone thinks is what dogs need. Like go to the dog park to play, to socialize. That's not actually socialization. That's direct interaction and that's play. And that's something that's completely different and requires a higher level of structure and obedience. Um, So hopefully that encapsulated that pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, for people at home that understand and, and recognize that this might be an issue that they're having with their dog, what are some of the things that they can start doing to kind of correct and mitigate this and kind of turn uh, another leaf, if you will, um, in correcting that behavior? Good question. And I got this question a lot in the comments of that post of, you know, what do you do in these situations? And it's really critical to advocate for your dog. And I do that in two different ways, depending on the situation. So if I see someone out on the street and I'm walking my dogs and they say, oh, my gosh, your dogs are so pretty. Can I come pet them? And it's and I feel like it's not an environment that I can control or I don't think that my dogs are having a great day, whatever it may be. My dogs are for my own enjoyment. They're not for anyone else's enjoyment. So ultimately, I get to make that decision, but my dogs also get to make that decision. So if I see through their body language that they're uncomfortable, I'm going to advocate for them. And and I simply just say, oh, thank you so much. But they're actually in training right now and they can't be pet. And honestly, most people are totally okay with that. They readily accept that as an answer. And they're like, oh, okay, well, good luck with training. And I say, oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Conversation done. And typically I don't stop. I This is a conversation that I have with like some movement and I'm showing through my own body language that I'm not going to stop for them to have the opportunity to reach out and pet my dogs. Um, so I keep control over that environment. And for other people that come up, they have a dog on leash. And in those situations, if I can tell that this dog is not well-mannered, not well-behaved, I am not going to let that dog approach my dogs and, and have their excitement level and arousal level um, also go up. And so, you know, if someone asks, oh, can my dog come say hi? I say, oh, no, thank you. My dogs are in training. Um, And so they need to stay focused on me. That also totally 100 percent works. 
Scenario number two is that um, you'll often experience that a lot of people will not ask to pet your dog, <laughs> um, and which is a dangerous thing, uh, especially if someone reaches in and maybe your dog is reactive. A lot of dogs don't like things going over their head, which is how a lot of people start to pet a dog. And that can end in your dog potentially biting someone. And it could happen in an instant if you don't recognize the cues or the signs. And so if someone reaches in and they just go to pet my dog without asking me first, I simply physically step in front of them, in front of my dog, and I say, oh, please do not touch them. And then I simply walk away. And, uh, you know, some people ask me is like, oh, wow, you're really that blunt. And absolutely, 100 percent. I think that it's important for those people that didn't think twice to have self-control over themselves to go and try and touch someone else's property, especially property that's potentially dangerous, uh, you know, to have a little bit of a wake up call and be like, oh, 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 OK. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll not do that again. And maybe I'll ask next time. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people experience. And I think the advocation part is extremely important because a lot of times it might be easy to want to protect our own reputation as owners. Like, oh, I don't want to look like a, I don't look like an asshole or I don't want to be a, I don't want to be rude. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're the, if you're being a pack leader to your dog and you're giving them the type of guidance and leadership that they need um, and that you should be doing to be a good leader for them, um, You'll be willing to sacrifice your reputation in order for to to advocate for your dog and to um, you know maintain the integrity towards the training that you're trying to put in place. Otherwise, you're just kind of letting people take advantage of your dog, and that's not really fair to them. You know, it's it's um, something where we need to set our own personal egos aside and how people feel about us, and remember that um, if we decide to be dog owners, that we need to be the best dog owners possible. Yeah, absolutely. I. I super love what you just said there about if you are wanting to be, you know, the pack leader that your dog needs to be. And that's absolutely correct. Your dog should never have to feel in a position where they need to set their own boundaries. They should always be comfortable and living their best life free of worry because they know that you are going to handle it all. And if a lot of people approach them all the time, your dog is going to see you as someone who's like, oh, wow, this, you know, this person is not saying, hey, you know, keeping all these people away. At one point, your dog is going to get tired of it and they're going to set their own boundaries. So you as a responsible dog owner, as a fair and assertive pack leader, you know, just like Matt said, um, setting those boundaries for your dog, advocating for them. And sometimes maybe that makes you look like, you know, an asshole, but it's necessary sometimes. Not everyone needs to approach your dog. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, you know, when it comes to having those interactions with other people, it's important to remember that, you know, your dog's going to be in your life for hopefully 10 plus however years, depending on what kind of you know breed you have. But that person's probably just going to be in your life for that moment. You're probably never going to see them again. And if it is someone that you see regularly, hopefully they have the respect to uh, respect your dog, respect your property. And, and the other thing with that is that, you know, if you're not advocating for your dog, your dog is eventually, to your point, going to advocate for themselves and it's going to manifest in the form of anxiety and reactivity. And it's probably going to pull over into a variety of other negative behaviors. And so that's why it's so important and why it comes down uh, to, once again, relating back to the five principles of dog training, but the five pillars of dog training. But, you know, like that, it all relates and it's all integral. And so, you know, 
making sure that you're diligent with this component of, you know, being a good dog owner and training your dog carries over into every aspect of their life and how they're going to live in totality. You know, it's just like if something traumatic happens to you uh, when you're a kid at the community pool, that might carry over and you might not like swimming for the rest of your life. So, you know, there's just a small example there, but I think that uh, it's easy to kind of see this as a very specific event when in reality it has a lot of um, extrapolating effects, yes. if you will. Absolutely. And and I, I do want to emphasize, you know, this isn't a topic of don't let anyone come up to your dog. Don't let any dog come up to your dog. No, absolutely. There's just It's just being conscious of it, you know, making sure that I can't emphasize enough that it's structured and it's controlled, you know, and you monitor your dog's behavior. And if they're open and they're also excited and but you still have control over them, that's a great opportunity for you to do that. Not only that, but it also shows your dog that it's like, hey, all right, I'm going to give you permission to be able to do this. Just know I'm in control of the situation. So if anything goes sideways, I got your back. So it's also an opportunity to show your dog that you have control over situations of when people and other dogs can come up and, you know, when they can't. So um, always looking for those opportunities to show your leadership and develop a much stronger relationship and bond with your dog and advocating for them, I firmly believe is a huge way uh, to show your dog that you are a fair and assertive pack leader, someone that they want to willingly follow because they know that they're going to be safe with you. Absolutely. And you know, for other trainers, other people at home that are curious, you know, they understand, they may, might recognize why this is so important now. Um, what are some ways uh, as a trainer that you implement in order to socialize dogs? You know, I know that you do some exercises and drills when we have boarded trains um, to kind of help this socialization pr process. And to your point earlier, it doesn't always and oftentimes doesn't include direct contact. Maybe jump into that a little bit. Yeah, awesome question. Um, and yeah, like you know, I was saying before, a lot of people think socialization is direct interaction, but my favorite ways of social socialization is for dogs to just occupy the same space, but not interact. You know, they need to be able to be tolerant of each other's behavior not just tolerant, but also control their excitement enough to not have direct interaction and just occupy the same space. So I utilize the climb command a lot. Um, you may be familiar with also the place command. Um, a lot of people use the place command and having them up on these surfaces in the same area is a great way for socialization. Another favorite way for dogs to be socialized, in my opinion, is to go on a walk together, but not let them interact. So go on a structured walk. Um, maybe you guys are on opposite sides of the roads and you walk for a while. And then once you see that the dogs are no longer reacting to one another, you know, looking at each other, being excited to interact with one another and they're calm, then towards the end of the walk, being able to bring them together and then having interaction then because they've been acclimated to each other's presence. They've been properly socialized and now play can commence. Play can commence. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, I know we are streaming on Instagram live. Do we have any questions yes. from our audience? Yes, we do have some questions. Let me go ahead and pop in here. Postups to Hope said on the podcast, yes, yes, we are on another podcast one. McGive Bear, what's up, guys? Drive safe. Thank you. 
Um, Lynn Tran underscore asks any tips on dog with separation anxiety? Yes, absolutely. This is a huge thing. Um, sometimes they just have a genetic predisposition to it. In my opinion, the best way to resolve separation anxiety is to try and crate your dog more. They need to have more time away from you and learn to be by themselves and to have a calm state of mind. So if it's an option available to you um, in your home and if you have the space for it and you have the crates for it, I like to have two different crates. So there's an inclusion crate and then there's an exclusion crate. So an inclusion crate would be maybe like one of your bigger open wired uh, crates and having that in a more social area. So like maybe um, in your kitchen, living room type of area and then having an exclusion crate, which is maybe um, in a room that doesn't have a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, maybe in a laundry room or something like that where they can spend some time alone. Dogs are, you know, whenever we're at home, we want to spend time with our dogs. And even if they're not doing anything actively, they're just hanging around us. That's socialization for a dog. And so if they're always socializing with you 24 seven, they're going to have some anxiety being away from you because it's just like when you're in a relationship and you spend no time apart and then that person leaves and you're like, oh my gosh, who, who am I? I don't know how to be alone. So it's important for your dog to also learn how to be alone. So creating more, spending some more deliberate time apart from your dog. Um, and then also building their confidence, coaching them through, you know, different environments and situations, teaching them the climb command and getting up onto different levels of surfaces with different textures, everything like that. Um, Valley Kova says, any tips for dog growling when other dogs come near her? Yeah. So honestly, growling isn't always a terrible thing. The reason I say that is because growling is, it's a signal, it's a sign. And your dog is telling you that we have a problem and she is uncomfortable with that. So my tip would be that you need to socialize your dog more. Notice I didn't say direct interaction or play. I said socialize. So if you have a dog park nearby, I don't recommend going into the dog park. I will never recommend that, but going near a dog park and then teaching her how to be calm, maybe putting her into a sit or a down um, and then just being around other dogs. That way she can learn to be around other dogs and, you know, not have to deal with them and start to just get used to or desensitized to them. All righty. Um, Ema Dorvega says, my small dog slash mutt is now four years old, is a great dog. Normally has great manners, but when people first come over, he wants to start barking for the first two minutes. I mean, I don't know anything about your dog or anything like that, but it kind of sounds like your dog is asking for a lot of attention and it's a lot of excitement happening. And so that's all that excitement and arousal is leaking out in a way of barking. It feels good. It's a way for a dog to relieve stress is, is barking. It's a way for them to get excitement of, Hey, pay attention to me. So whatever that barking looks like, um, I would teach your dog how to have some more self-control, um, and even just teaching them, hey, if you start barking, you're going to have to be removed from the situation. So 
you take the entertainment away and you put her into maybe a different room, into a different place. Um, teaching your dog, I'm a huge fan of marker training, what, teaching them what yes, good and no means. And so when guests come over and they start to bark, if you have effectively taught your dog what no means, saying no. And if not, then going towards the next steps of how you would correct that behavior. I can't tell you what that looks like. You're going to parent uh, your dog however you would like. But those are my um, tips to you. And I think that's all the questions that we had for this one. So thanks, you guys, so much for hopping into our live stream. Uh, if you're watching us on Instagram, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast episode, um, remember to hop into our live streams whenever you see them so you can drop some questions for us to answer. If you guys want to find us on the web, you can do so at www.caninepersonalcoach.com. We actually just refreshed the website so you can learn a little bit more about us. You can watch our training library. You can listen to this podcast and catch up on some of the other episodes. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on Apple and Spotify. And with that being said, we're going to continue our drive home. We have another 10 hours and 22 minutes. We'll see how far we make it. But with that being said, this is Matt Hubble signing off. This is Natalie signing off and we'll see you guys in the next one. Adios. Bye.